Well, good morning. Welcome to Arise Church. We're glad to have you here with us this morning, uh, worshiping here, uh, here and as well online. You know, things don't always turn out the way that we expect them to, do they? Uh, we go in with expectations that something is going to turn out a certain way, and then it doesn't. And sometimes it really doesn't do, uh, do what we wanted it to do. Case in point, a few years, more than a few years ago, let me get things straightened out here. More than a few years ago, uh, Beck and I went to Ohio to attend the funeral of one of her aunts. And uh, this aunt was one that she knew very well, and we were really familiar with, uh, with her daughter, Beck and, uh, Becca's cousin, and we had gone to school together, gone to college together, and her husband and I, we did a lot of fishing together. And so when we went to the funeral, the day before the funeral, they had this big gathering of the family, and people from the church brought lots of food, and there were a lot of people there. And so when we went to, we went to get our food, there was like no place to sit, but uh, Becca's cousin's husband knew, knew the house, and he said, hey, let's go over here. And so we go over into the house, and we find a place to eat. And I'm eating a meal, but the whole time I'm looking at this. <laughs> because it looked like that. I mean, it was, I, I love pie, and this was cherry pie. I really like cherry pie. Rarely do you find it where it's, where it's really good. And I was looking forward to eating that. And just as I was getting ready to cut off the first piece, this guy comes and he got bib overalls on and he puts his fingers under his armpits and he says, that there's my wife's award-winning winning cherry pie. I thought, oh, okay, great. Uh, thank you for sharing that with me. And he says, that there pie has won many, many award at, at the county fair. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm really looking forward to eating this piece of pie. I take the first bite and I put it in my mouth and it's like, oh my word, there's pits. There were, she didn't take all, all the pits out of it. And so just as I'm, I'm getting the pit out of my mouth, Becca's cousin's husband's, uh, Becca's cousin's child comes and sits down next to us. He's like 17 years old, really tall. I'm serious. He inhaled that piece of pie like four bites, and he had this thing down. And I'm telling him, I said, hey, Matt, be careful. I said, there's pits in this thing. And by the time I got that out of my mouth, he was scraping the plate. I mean, it was all gone. And he's like, huh? <laughs> okay, whatever. So maybe there's, I had the one little piece that had the pit in it. So I take the second piece, put it in my mouth, and it's like, oh, my word. I wanted cherry pie, but what I got was the pits. And, you know, sometimes we go into things and we think, this is the way things are going to turn out. And when they don't, how do we deal with that? Because the Elijah we meet today, just like Liz had said, he'd been obedient. He had seen God do some incredible things. The Elijah we met five weeks ago, the guy who walks into Ahab's court and says, it's not going to rain again until I say so. It is a different Elijah that we meet today. Elijah has seen God do some amazing things. God provided for him, and he saw how God had provided for him every single day, how God had provided meat and bread for, for him by, uh, by some birds, by ravens. Then God moved him to the next place, and God provides again for him, and he sees God provide for him in a miraculous way. As well, he sees God raise the dead. First time we see that happening in all of Scripture. And now God, moves him, now God moves him a little closer to where he's supposed to be. And there he sees God bring fire upon the altar. And there's one more thing that needs to happen, and that's the rain. Elijah sends his servant out after, after fire has fallen from heaven. And the people cried out and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he's God. But the rain hasn't come yet. And Elijah goes to prayer, and he prays. And he, he sends out his servant. Six times his servant went out, and he said to his servant, do you see anything yet? Nope. 
He said, go back again. And he prays the seventh time. And the servant, he says, do you see anything? And the servant said, yes, I see the cloud, the size of a man's fist coming up out of the sea. And he says, that's enough. That's enough. That's God's answer. And when he hears that answer, he tucks his cloak into his, in, the power of the Lord comes on him, and he tucks, tucks his cloak, boy, you say that a couple times fast. He tucks his cloak into his belt, and he runs all the way to Ahab in Jezreel. And you want to ask the question, why? Jezreel is the place where Jezebel is at. She is not a nice lady at all. She is a very vindictive, a very cruel woman. She's a murderous person. Why on earth would he go back there? I think there's two reasons. He goes from Mount Carmel to, to Jezreel, and he runs all the way there. Why does he go there? I think there's two reasons. The first one being, when he's up on Mount Carmel, who's in charge? Who, who's the one giving the orders? It's not Ahab, it's Elijah. And I wonder if Elijah thought in his mind that Ahab's heart was softening. And especially the people's hearts. When the people see that God answered by fire and consumed the sacrifice, what did they say? The Lord is God, the Lord is God. And I wonder if when he, when he saw that and heard that, if he didn't think maybe the people's hearts are softening. And he goes to Jezreel expecting what? Expecting for there to be a mass revival, expecting there to be people who are turning to the Lord. What does he see? He doesn't see anything. I mean, it's still raining, but the hearts of the people haven't changed. Not at all. Ahab's heart hasn't changed. Jezebel's heart hasn't changed. The people's hearts haven't changed. I mean, they were, they were convinced that the Lord was God. Remember, they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But they weren't convicted. There is a difference between being just convinced and being convicted. And when Elijah sees that they're not convicted, and when he hears this, uh, it strikes a little terror into his heart. Jezebel hears that all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asher have been killed. And she says, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. That was a credible threat. When Jezebel wanted somebody dead, they were dead. And Elijah, when he sees this, I wonder what went through his mind. When he sees that nothing has changed. The hearts of the people haven't changed. Ahab's heart hasn't changed. There is something that happens in his heart, and it's something that happens in our hearts too. When we expect God to do something, and he doesn't, we can respond much like, much like Elijah. We can be disappointed and disillusioned with God. There's a difference. There's quite a difference between the two of those. Disappointment is when you put your hope in something. But when it doesn't turn out the way that you expected, it doesn't rock you to the bottom of your world. Not so with disillusionment. Disillusionment comes when you believe in something, that something is going to happen, something is going to take place, and when it doesn't, it rocks you to the bottom of your world, and you want to say, I'm done. I, I, I am done with this. Let me give you an illustration. And ladies, forgive me. I'm going to use a, a football illustration. When I lived in Hong Kong, I could never do a football illustration. They didn't understand it. For them, football was soccer. So I can use a football illustration and a Packer one on top of it. So when the Packers were in their, their slide this year, when they lost five games in a row, I don't think there's a one of us in this room that was, would have said, hey, they're going to be in the playoffs at the end of the year, right? You're, you're crazy is what we would have said to them. 
But then toward the end of the year, they begin to win. And they go into the playoffs. Nobody expects them to beat Dallas. Now, if you're a Dallas fan, my, 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 I'm sorry, okay? Uh, but they went into Dallas. None of, the, none of the sportscasters, none of them were picking Green Bay. I mean, after all, the Cowboys hadn't lost in 16 games at home. They had a great defense. They had a great offense. They had CeCe Lamb. They had Dak Prescott. I mean, they weren't going to lose. And then Green Bay walked in, and they walked out with not just a win, but they won big time. <laughs> but with the Packers, the next week they go into they go into San Francisco, and I don't know. For me, I was thinking hmm, maybe, just maybe they can win this game, and they just about did. But when they lost, it didn't rock my world. It was like okay, well they lost. They did better than I expected them to do. They got farther than I expected them to. It's a, it's a, you know, a, a rebuilding year. They got a young team. They're going to go places in the future. That's disappointment. The day after the Packers beat the Cowboys, my news feed was filled with all kinds of shorts about the Cowboys. <laughs> oh, wow. They had believed this was the year that they were going to. One guy had a tattoo, Super Bowl champs. That's going to leave a mark. Uh, yeah, Super Bowl champs. One guy walking out of the stadium had come from Baltimore, and he said, I purchased plane tickets. I purchased game tickets. I purchased a jersey. I purchased a hotel. I purchased food and everything else, and this is the way it ends. No, no, I'm done. I'm done. People, one guy watched him. He put his fist through the TV set, put his fist, and then put through the TV set on the ground and just stepped on it. It's like, wow, we anger problems here. I know that none of us react that way, right? Other people burning their jerseys, and they're saying, we are done with Dak Prescott. That's disillusionment. When it rocks you to the very core of who you are. And for Elijah, Elijah is disillusioned. He's disappointed, and he's disillusioned. And watch his reaction. His reaction is that he was afraid, and he had good reason to be afraid. And when he's afraid, he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba in Judah, and left his servant there. Now, I'm sorry, I didn't get a, a line in there. I didn't, this is my bad. I did not tell uh, Logan to put a line in there. But he goes from Jezreel down to Beersheba. That's as far as you can go in, in the territory of Israel and Judah. But he's going to make his way all the way down to the very bottom. You see down the bottom where it comes like, kind of like that? He's going to go way down there. But he drops his servant off, and he goes another day's walk, and he gets, to, he gets into the desert. It said he came to a broom tree and sat down under it, and he prayed that, the, that he might die. Why did he do that? Why, why did he do that? Did, did he perchance feel like a failure? After all, he did everything that God told him to do. And God didn't hold up his end of the bargain. And sometimes we put our hearts into it, don't we? We put our hearts into things, and it's like there's no results, and it's like it must be my fault. After all, why didn't the people of Jezreel, why didn't the Israelites turn to God? Was that God's fault? Was it God's fault? It wasn't. Whose fault was it? It was the Israelites. You see here, and listen hard, really listen hard to this one. God made himself known to the Israelites, didn't he? Three years of famine. I mean, three years when there is no rain. 
And then God brings the rain. God, God showed them that he was God when he brings the fire upon the sacrifice. They, they said it too. They were convicted, they were convinced, but they were not convicted. And when they go into the city, it's just life as usual. God had made himself known to them, but they didn't respond to God. That's why it is so important that when we come in on a Sunday morning, we come in with the expectation. We've been talking about expectation for five weeks. What kind of expectation do we enter in when we enter in when we come to church? Like I said, five weeks ago, sometimes we enter in with this expectation. I'm going to come in. I'm going to be greeted. People are going to greet me warmly. I'm going to come into the, uh, into the sanctuary, and I'm going to find a nice seat. The seat's going to be comfortable. People may talk to me again, and things are going to go well. I'm going to uh, sing some songs. We're going to hear a sermon. I'm going to walk out, maybe get a cup of coffee, a donut on the way out. Somebody's going to greet me again. And sometimes that's the only expectation we have of church. When in reality, what should the expectation be? I am going to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, whose throne, it says, is eternal. And when we think of it in that way, and the songs that I'm singing, those are songs that are worshiping the King who is seated on the throne. He is not standing. He is not wringing his hands. He is in total control. He is absolutely sovereign and worthy of my praise. And when I pray, I'm praying to a God who hears me. As I was working in a discipleship class this morning, we are children of the Most High God. When you pray to receive Christ, you are his child. And he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And he invites us into that, into that intimate relationship so that when we pray, does God hear our prayers? He does. He is worthy of all of our, our love and admiration. And so when we come with an expectation that we are serving God, that we're coming to spend time worshiping God, we're going to come hear from God, it changes the way we listen. Or should listen. Because is God speaking? The question is not, is God speaking? He is. The question is, how am I responding to the voice of God? Because we learn in Scripture, it says that today if you hear the Lord's voice, don't harden your heart. Because the problem comes when I harden my heart, when I don't respond to the Lord, it gets harder and harder to hear His voice. His voice is gentle, it's quiet. And it must be something that you learn to hear. But the longer that you ignore the voice of the Lord, the, longer, the harder it becomes to hear that voice. They knew he was God, but they didn't respond. Whose fault was it? It was not Elijah's fault. Sometimes we want to base our success on outward things. When God looks at what? Are you serving? Are you serving the Lord? Are you serving the Lord faithfully? Are you doing what it is that God is calling you to do? then leave the results up to God. God is the one who is in this, and God is the one who is good. But we leave the results, excuse me, we leave. Jace, could I get you to grab my bottle of water? It's right back there. Thank you. Sorry, I got a dry, dry throat this morning. But we leave the results in God's hands. Elijah wasn't a failure, but yet as he, thanks, bud. Elijah wasn't a failure, but yet as he, as he goes, as he leaves, he says, I've had enough. He prayed that he might die. Why did he say that as well? Was he a bit tired? Possibly even a bit depressed? I mean, Christians don't get depressed, right? Christians don't struggle with, 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 being, with being tired. I think there's a lot of that, and we're going to see that coming out in a little bit later. 
Well, what does he say? He says, I've had enough. I, I've had enough, Lord. He says, take my life. I'm done. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. And for Elijah, what is he saying? He says, I, I quit. I am done. Lord, I am I'm done. I did everything that you asked me to do. And you didn't keep up your end of the bargain. Lord, I did everything that you asked me to do. I went to counseling with him. I sought to, I sought to understand him. I sought to listen to him. I did everything that you called me to do. And yet he still walked out the door on me. God, I'm done. I, I, I am done. Lord, I did everything that you asked me to do. I prayed for those kids before they were born. I dedicated them when they were born. I took them to Sunday school. I prayed with them. I made sure that they grew up in a home where they heard about Christ. And now what's happened to them? They've walked away and they're living a lifestyle that is so far away from God that I don't know if they'll ever come back. God, I'm done. I'm done with this. Lord, I prayed. And I did what you asked me to do. I prayed for my wife. I prayed that she would get better with what it was that she had. And she didn't get better. In fact, Lord, she died. I'm done. I'm done. You see how easy that, that happens? And we can become very disillusioned with God. And why, is it, why does that happen? Because we come with an expectation that God is going to do something the way we want him to. We put God in a box Elijah put God in a box. He came with the expectation that God was going to do things, that if he did this, God would do that. The problem is that God doesn't always do as we expect him to, does he? God doesn't always do as we expect him to. But he's still God, and the things that he does are still good. For Elijah, that's what he needed to hang on to. That's what we need to hang on to as well. As we walk through things that we don't understand, why, why now? God, what are you doing? God doesn't always do things the way we expect. But he's God, and what he does is good. Can I embrace that? Can I come with, a, can I come with an expectation that this may not turn out the way I want it to, but God, it's going to turn out the way that you want it to. And however that looks, God, I will embrace that. For Elijah, for Elijah, he, he leaves, and it's interesting. God meets Elijah. He, he meets him there underneath that broom tree. And, you know, there's several things that God does that are beautiful and wise. There's some things that God does that, uh, there's some things that he says, and there's some things that he doesn't say. He doesn't say to Elijah, you sniveling little whiner. What on earth are you doing under the street? Get up off the ground and get back into the game. He doesn't say that. How many times have we heard something like that? He doesn't say it. In fact, what he does for Elijah is absolutely beautiful. What Elijah needs <clears throat> at this point is, is not another assignment. What Elijah needs most is rest. And what God gives him is rest. Tim Keller said that sometimes what we don't need is, a, oftentimes what we don't need is a lecture, but rather a few days in the sun by the beach. A good book, not a book on how to get out of depression, and a long nap, a massage, and a good restaurant. And please, for those of you who are saying that that sounds absolutely carnal, Jesus said to his disciples, come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest. God created us that we need a rest. 
We cannot keep pushing the envelope seven days of the week, eight days a week, and just think that everything's going to be better. He gives to Elijah what it is that he needs most. When we left Hong Kong, somebody gave us a, a really, a really uh, kind gift. They were part of a group that had resorts all over the, all over the world, and they gave us a week at a resort in Thailand. It was not quite on our way home, but we went to this resort. Prior to our leaving, um, the month before we left, it was like a month of saying goodbyes. And we had friends, dear, dear friends, and it was like we were always saying goodbye. We were packing up and making sure that everything went right with the shipping company and boxes. In the midst of that time, Becca had a major bout with vertigo, and so she couldn't do anything. She couldn't pack any boxes. And so I'm packing boxes, and we're trying to get through all of this stuff, trying to give away things and any, any number of stuff. And the top thing was we didn't know if the COVID test that we would take would be enough or it would be done right, and we didn't know if we'd be able to leave the country. And so when it came time for me to go up to the ticket booth, I had my mask on, and what they couldn't see was that my chin was going all over the place because I was so nervous. Was, I gonna, was this COVID test going to work? Was it going to be right? Were we going to get out of the country? And when they finally stamped the last ticket and passed it over to us, I thought, thank the Lord. And then we went to the resort, and I thought, well, you know, two or three days here will be enough. But after two or three days, we were just beginning to relax. And after a week, it was like, oh, I needed this. We needed this because our lives have been going at such a breakneck pace. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and who are heavy laden. And for some of us, the burdens that we are carrying this morning are too big for your shoulders. They're burdens that you were never meant to carry. But they're burdens that the Lord desires to take from you. And Elijah, God gives him a rest. He does it to him twice, but then he does something else. As Elijah leaves, he goes to, he goes to, <clears throat> excuse me. Okay, I've already said that, so I'm just going to move on from that. He goes from there, and he goes down to, he goes to Mount Sinai, the same place that Moses was. And commentators commentating on this uh, passage of Scripture say that he was looking for a fresh anointing from the Lord. I don't know. I don't know quite why he's going there. But when he gets there, God, he encounters God again. And notice what it says. He went into a cave and spent the night. And what's the phrase? Okay, this is an all play. What, what's the phrase? And the... Okay, it's been five weeks. Please, please, please respond to me correctly. What does that phrase mean whenever we see that phrase? God's going to do something. It's the next chapter in Elijah's life. When Elijah flees, there's no word of the Lord saying, this is what you're supposed to do. See, when God tells us what it is that he wants us to do, he will always speak to us, either through his word or in the midst of prayer. But almost always, it's in the midst of the word. That's why if you're going to hear from God, be in his word and be spending time in his word. It says, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know, when God asks a question, it isn't because he doesn't know the answer. When God asks Adam and Eve when they're, when they're in the garden and they're uh, trying to cover themselves up, he said, did you eat from the fruit of the tree that I told you not to? Does God not know what they did? He absolutely knows what they did, but he's wanting them to be honest. When he asks Cain, where is your brother? Does he know where Abel is? 
He does. But he wants Cain to answer the question. And when he asks, asks Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah gives him this big song and dance. I did everything that you told me to do. And I'm the only one that's left. Was he the only one left? See, when we're depressed, when we're exhausted, we often don't see things correctly, do we? He's not the only one. There's 7,000 who still have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000, that's a huge number. And God asks him a question, and I wonder if this isn't a question. See once if you can't find yourself in some of this question, as I thought about this. Elijah, what are you doing here? Is this the place where you can be most useful? Think about the place where you are right now. Not just sitting here, but in your life. Think about the place where you're at. Is this the place that you can be most useful? Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? Is this really the time for you to take a step back when there's so much to be done? Elijah, what are you doing here? You've withdrawn from needs and opportunities to a private life. Elijah, what are you doing here? And when God asked him the question, it wasn't because he didn't know. He's asking Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah comes back with the same song and dance. You know, this is just what I'm doing. But God has him go out into the mountain and listen to what he says to him. He says in verse 11 of chapter 19, the Lord said to him, go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord is a, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, for Elijah, he's experiencing much like what the Israelites experienced. The wind didn't affect him. Three years of famine didn't affect the Israelites. They, they were convicted, or they were convinced that he was God, but they weren't convicted. When the fire comes down the altar, they were convinced, but they weren't convicted, and Elijah was not moved by the fire. When the earthquake came, Elijah's not moved by the earthquake. What he is moved by is what? The gentle voice of God. It's not that God can't speak through fire. It's not that God can't speak through wind. It's not that God can't speak through an earthquake. But God generally speaks how? Through a very gentle voice. And the question is, are we hearing that voice? Because it's in that voice that God directs us. Because that's what's coming next for Elijah. See, God's not done with him. How many times in, in our lives have we made mistakes and we think, I'm done. God, God can't use me anymore. Elijah, he has gone from the mountaintop, literally, down to the floor of the desert. Both emotionally, physically, spiritually, he's, he's at the bottom. And yet, that's exactly the place that God meets him. And what does God do for him? It says, the word of the Lord came to him, so we know, okay, we've got another assignment coming up. He has another assignment for Elijah. What's the assignment? Elijah, I want you to go out and I want you to anoint Elisha. Sometimes we have trouble with the two. Elijah, Elisha, where, who comes first? J before S. Okay, I'll let you figure that one out. J before S. And he says, I want you to anoint Elisha. He's going to take your place. 
Elijah's not just the one who's going to take his place. God not only gives him a successor, God gives him a friend. And he has a friend that will walk with him through these times. And Elijah's going to be able to pour his life into Elisha and see Elisha do quite a bit more than what he could ever do. But God gives him an assignment. And what else does he have? He has three other people that he's to anoint that are going to have an effect. They're outside of Israel and they're within Israel, but they're going to have an effect. But it boils down to he has something else for them. You see, even when we walk through difficult seasons and we may be angry with God, and that may be you today. You're disappointed. You're not just disappointed. You're disillusioned. You expected God to do this, and he didn't do that. I'm done. And sometimes we quit too quickly because we fail to see what it is that God's doing. Or we fail to admit the fact that I put God in a box. As in the Chronicles of Narnia, he's not a tame God, is he? He will do what he, what he desires. And for some of us this morning, as we finish out this series, for some of us, we're, that, we're at that place today. We're disappointed and we're disillusioned with God. Don't even know why we're here. But we're here. And what I want us to hold on to is this, that God doesn't always do as we expect. But what he does is good. Can I embrace that? Will I embrace that? And say, God, I don't like this. I don't like what's happened. But I trust you and I trust your ways. Because can we come before God with an expectancy that he's going to move and he's going to do things in his way? Yeah, we can and we should. Don't put God in a box. Follow God and do what he asks you to do faithfully, but leave the results in God's hands. Because God's the one who looks at our heart. He doesn't look at the outward. Because we can say, well, look at, look at the different things around me. It shows I, I'm not a success. God looks at your heart and determines whether or not, that, whether or not you've been faithful to him. As I finish out this series, what is it that you are expecting from God? As we've been talking in this series, what is it that you're expecting? And as I've been thinking about that, oftentimes the expectations aren't just our expectations, but they're God's expectations. And does God ever lay things on our hearts that are on his heart? All the time. All the time. So that thing that God is laying on your heart, for me, I've had several things that I've been praying about lately. Praying that God would bring people from the neighborhood around here to the church. Is God doing that? Yes, he is. He is. Praying that God would deepen my life and my prayer life and my spiritual walk with him. Is it happening? Yes. Has it taken sacrifice like we talked about last week? Yes. Has it been comfortable? No, it's not. But I come with the expectation that when I pray that God answers prayer. And I'm praying as well, a very big prayer, that this church would not only have an influence in this neighborhood, but that we would have an influence in Sheboygan and southern Wisconsin. Big prayer? That God we serve is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. What expectations do you come before God with, with your family, with your children, with your marriage, 
with your grandchildren? What expectations do you come before God with for your spiritual life? For your walk with him? What kind of expectations? The God we serve is a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. And he says, ask. Come before me. Ask. Pray. Next week, we're going to have an opportunity to pray. Um, after service next week, we're going to have a time of fasting and prayer. And now, I know that not everyone can attend, and I know this too, that missing one meal, you're not going to die. Okay? But there is something about when we fast and we pray that it gets the attention of God. That when we take that time apart to say, God, what is it that you're wanting? And that's why we're creating space next week after service to fast and to pray. And I would encourage you. I would encourage you to, to come and to attend that time, attend that time of where we cry out to God for what it is that he wants in this, for this church and in this area. One last thing before we move to communion. Our next series is going to be um, a tough one. A tough one just to say that. The sermon series is called, If the Church Only Knew. And we're going to address some, some difficult topics. I'm not going to kick off the service or the series. In fact, I won't be preaching until the fourth sermon in that series as uh, we'll be going to Cambodia. Pastor Sam will kick it off next week with, uh, If the Church Only Knew I Was Struggling with Mental Health. Pastor Anders from Plymouth will be here, and he's going to be talking about if the church only knew I was struggling with my faith. Pastor uh, Jim will be coming, and he'll be speaking about if the church only knew I was struggling with addiction. I will start up in week four talking about if the church only knew that I'd had an abortion. And week five will be if the church only knew that I struggled with same-sex attraction. You're saying, why are we preaching on that? Are these things relevant in our culture today and are people out outside of the church talking about, yeah, what's the biblical viewpoint of these things? How, how do we as the church body respond to these issues in a godly and in a, in a Christ-like way that, uh, that doesn't, it doesn't push people away, but rather pushes them towards Christ? And that's why the next series, that's why I would like you also to pray for the next series because it's, it's a difficult one. And it will cause us to have to think about what it is that we believe about God and what it is that we believe about those around us as well. So thank you. Thank you for um, being part of this series. And thank you for your prayers ahead of time as we go off to Cambodia. We'll be here next Sunday, but uh, I will not be preaching next Sunday. But I want to thank, thank you for allowing Becca and I to go to Cambodia and to minister and to spend that time with them. We serve as the pastoral care couple for our missionaries. What that means is we'll go and I'll preach several times there for the missionaries. And then we have an extended time of where we just meet with all of our missionaries and we just listen to them and give them counsel. And they're a great group of people and we wouldn't be able to do that unless you guys uh, allowed us to go and to do that. So thank you. Thank you for being part of what God is doing around the world. So thank you. We're going to move into communion now. And our communion table is an open table. By that I mean that um, you do not have to be a member of our church. What I ask is that you pray to receive Christ as your personal Savior. And, that, um, and that's it. We don't ask that you be a member of the church or anything else, but that you simply have prayed to receive Christ as your personal Savior. So if I could have uh, Bill and Derek and Todd and John and uh, Jan come up, please.
For I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Everything that we believe in. I mean, we're getting ready. Uh, next week, we uh, go into Ash Wednesday and the start of, of the Easter season. Everything that we believe in rests and falls on the, on, the, on the resurrection of Christ. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, forget it. We have nothing to stand up, but because Jesus lives, we have hope, we have life, and we have an eternal hope as well. And it's all because of Christ and all that he did for us at the cross. It's at the cross that he not only bore our sins, but he took the wrath of God on our, on our behalf as well. So that when we pray to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, there was a transaction, a legal transaction that occurred. That all of the righteousness of Christ was placed into my account. And when God sees us, he sees us through the righteousness of Christ. And he calls us his children. He said, for as many as received him to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's what you are. You are God's children, and you are God's children deeply loved by him. And he says of you, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You are mine. And all of that was made possible because of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And he says, whenever you take, partake of this, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So as we partake of the elements today, spend some time, please. Spend some time just in worship of God and thanking him for what it is that he's done for us.